What is crack-a-lackin', Hardware Knox listeners? I am Dan Vivali coming at you without my fantabulous co-host, Adam Brommel. We are going to continue plowing through our NBA team look-aheads. The Los Angeles Clippers have landed on our desk next. We have brought on Sabrina Merchant, hoops aficionado for SB Nation, covers all of basketball there as well as the Clippers specifically, but talks about hoops at large, WNBA. She has covered NBA at large, also the Lakers too. She's the co-host of the Step Through podcast as well. Go check that out on YouTube. It's a great watch slash listen. Caught a few of their episodes and they've done a great job covering the NBA, uh, WNBA there too. So had a great conversation with her as usual. She's a recurring guest, no stranger around these parts. Before we dive in, just the usual reminders, please. The usual begging, however you want to frame it. Please rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Even if you do not use iTunes, though, so long as you have access to it, we ask that you head over there, search Hardwood Knox, throw us a five-star rating, and write a review. You can criticize the hell out of me in the review. Don't criticize Adam because I'll come at you with these virtual hands what are the kids saying no i have no idea seriously though you could constructive criticism we take it into account if you don't like our takes happy to have a dialogue we'll read it but throw us that five-star rating helps us out a ton if this is the first time you're listening to this podcast because you're a diehard clippers fan or you're a diehard sabrina merchant fan wouldn't wouldn't fault you there that's a great idea or you've just happened upon us accidentally Consider throwing us that permanent subscription wherever you get your podcast and downloading every episode. We are pleasantly sub-mediocre, as I like to remind our incumbent listeners before every team look ahead. With all of that now out of the way, though, let's get to the Los Angeles Clippers, their immediate trajectory, their long-term outlook with SB Nations and the step-throughs, Sabrina Merchant. Sabrina, thank you so much for coming back on the Hardwood Knox podcast to talk with me about the Clippers First and foremost, though, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Um, you know, NBA season is upon us. Starting the playoffs are right here. It's it's a very good time to be a basketball fan. Uh, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to watch right now. Uh, the WNBA playoffs are far more entertaining than the. I'm already at the point where like I can't deal with NBA training camp coverage. NBA training <laughs> camp and preseason, it just exhausts me. Like I just can't bring my media days. Fine, and there's obviously other stuff going on this year, but. I can't deal with the like, oh, this is what they're running in practice. And then I just, NBA preseason, I barely can watch anymore. I don't know how you feel about that, but I just, it's like suffering through something for me. You know, I'm just generally happy to see these teams in action for the first time. And when you get healthy players, I'm, I'm willing to watch. So even if it's preseason, let's do it. You're a far more positive person than <laughs> I am. So kudos to you. Let's start with Kawhi. I found his media day comments like uncharacteristically candid when he was talking about why he signed a long-term deal. I like, I was like, Kawhi said that. And I know there's the, it seems like the new thing might be sign the three plus one and then just extend after two years. But the fact that he said that he signed the, the, the three plus one so that he would give himself the option of returning this year. Should we now expect him to return this year or should the expectation still be Kawhi's not playing this season? I would say the expectation is still for him not to return, but it's nice that he left the door open for the possibility of a return. Um, and then, like you said, the the whole short-term deal appears to be going out of vogue a little bit. Like you can always just sign a longer deal and then demand a trade or sign an extension. And there's just, there's a lot of flexibility within the long-term deals just based on this star empowerment that probably didn't exist before. So 
yeah, maybe he thought that like a one in one plus another five year extension was like the best way of optimizing the money, but like he can just tack on a four year extension two years into this deal and he'll be just rolling in it. Right. So I, I think he's fine either way. And then if he wants to trade as Ben Simmons is proving, he can try and demand mm-hmm. one with four years left on his contract. So exactly. And do you think it helps though? So he did say that he'll be there for the long term unless something catastrophic happens, basically. But having him sort of on a longer term deal where you can, as a team, have him under control for at least three years, do you think that helps them like sort of move forward where maybe they're more inclined to take risks or bigger swings if they arise or just easier to flesh out a vision for this team because you don't have the specter of an imminent Kawhi Leonard free agency looming over you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we saw this in Cleveland where like just the consistent uh, LeBron James free agency every summer made it uh, just put a lot of pressure on the Cavaliers front office to constantly do things that may not have been the best idea in their long-term interest. But having not only Kawhi locked in for these three plus one, Paul George is on a four-year extension. Marcus Morris is on, you know, three years left of his contract. They just signed their slate of rookies to three-year deals. Luke Kennard is on a four-year deal. Like basically... Oh, and then I guess the only notable free agent coming up is Terrence Mann, but like everybody who's super important to this team is on multi-year deals at the moment. So there isn't a lot of like urgency to do something stupid in the moment, just to like appease Kawhi. Like, I mean, to that, I point you to the Rajon Rondo trade from a year ago because uh, Kawhi Leonard said they needed a playmaker and someone with smarter basketball IQ and didn't quite work out. So there's, there's less pressure to do something in the moment, you know, they can evaluate their options more thoroughly. And I just think it's a more comfortable situation for everyone around that. Like there isn't this specter of free agency floating over everyone that like the media is talking about. Cause that is something that Kawhi Leonard mentioned in his supremely transparent press conference was that he didn't want to create another storyline for the media to talk about if he were to become a free agent. So I think it's just better business for everyone that he's, he's stuck, you know, everybody else is firmly planted their roots in Los Angeles. And it's just one less thing to talk about. Still floored by the transparency he showed in that answer. The logic totally yeah. makes sense on his part, but still floored by it. What did you think of the Eric Bledsoe trade for this team? Uh, he's obviously not Sterling Brown, since I'm obligated to mention Sterling Brown in every sure, single podcast. Sure, not DeLon Wright either. Yeah. But not DeLon Wright either. Um, but what did you think about that trade for them? I thought it was an admission that they were just never certain about Patrick Beverly's health during the regular season and just even during the postseason, as was demonstrated during the 2020 bubble when he was unavailable for the first round of the playoffs. Um, I also think, so this is something that like, I never actually gotten like confirmed, but it does appear to me that they just tried to completely flush out everyone who existed before Kawhi Leonard and Paul George arrived. And at this point, the longest tenured clipper is Avita Zubachi is the only one who predates Kawhi and Paul George. And that was like by three months, you know, of trade deadline before the other two got there. What a great um, there trade was by the Lakers that ended up being, right? I know. True. Just Mike Mascala, Laker legend, right? Uh, anyway, so <laughs> I think Michael Beasley was involved in there too. It's the whole thing. But it definitely seems like there was a concerted effort to shift the culture, you know, once Kawhi and PG got there and reframe the entire organization in their image. And that meant clearing out everybody who was there before them. And there was obviously a really uneasy marriage between the old and the new guards in 2019-20 when those two superstars came in and the Clippers answer to that was okay let's just you know get rid of the old guard entirely and it's tricky to do with a guy like Patrick Beverly who fit better with Kawhi and PG than the rest of the other guys you know like Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell notably Mm. but when you know he's coming off a season when he missed 
a substantial amount of time again, you know, because of just repeated injuries. And he ended the season on a kind of sour note by pushing Chris Paul on the back and getting suspended to start the regular season. Like makes it a little bit easier to uh, wash, like, wash that away when you're dealing with that part of Patrick Beverly. Um, I'm not convinced that Eric Bledsoe is a better player than Pat Bev uh, on either end of the floor, really. But I do know that he is substantially more durable. You can count on him to play 75 plus games during the regular season. And as far as an 82 game player, uh, he showed in Milwaukee that he is capable of being a really productive player during those regular season minutes. I mean, there was one season where I thought he was like pushing all-star consideration. I just gave it to Chris Middleton because, you know, reputation, whatever. But um, the Clippers are more of a regular season team this year, right? Like without Kawhi Leonard, their playoff upside is far more limited. So it's almost a signal that like, Hey, the regular season is really important to us. We need somebody who's going to be around to play all of these games. Like they don't really have another point guard on the roster. Uh, so I, I think it was just more of an admission of durability because I mean, Bledsoe can't shoot. That's really important for a Ty Lue team. Maybe they think that his shooting will take a step up because of all of the space that is afforded within this offense. Like that did not exist in new Orleans or Milwaukee. Um, I hesitate to even use any of his New Orleans experience because he was just so not interested in that situation from the moment he got there. I mean, I, I think about that so quote, bad defensively for them. Too. Right? I think that about that quote of like when he fouled uh, New York when they were up three and was just like, yeah, I wasn't listening during the timeout. I totally spaced on the time and score situation. It's like, well, that's not going to fly with the Clippers, but I assume that he's going to be more invested in the situation from the get go. You know, he's an OG Clipper. He's got a lot of friends on the team. Um, him and Marcus Morris were just lovingly talking about each other after having played together in Phoenix back in the day. Uh, so yeah, I, I just think it's like, they need a guy who's going to be there. Um, they trust their player development to fix players, jump shots. Like they had six rotation players shoot 40% or more from three point range Seems last low year. Somehow. And I that's thought it was like not even players. So that's six rotation players plus Rondo and Boogie, who I'm not counting as rotation players. Okay. And then Kawhi and Pat Bev were like 39.7 and 39.8. So that's the situation from their three-point percentage. I think they have a lot of faith that Bledsoe's numbers will go up in that system. And then defensively, like, I think he's about as good as Pat Bev. I mean, Pat obviously has a sterling reputation of being Mr. 94 feet, getting people's faces. I thought he was tremendous on um, Devin Booker in that Western Conference Finals. I thought he was pretty good on Donovan Mitchell as well uh, in the series before that. But the consistency, you know, is just not always there with Pat. And I think you get more of that with Bledsoe. So that's my very long-winded answer of saying like, they need to get rid of Pat. They got a pretty suitable replacement who should be healthy for the majority of the season. Knock on wood. And maybe with more space, he'll be like, he was very efficient driver at points in Milwaukee. And so just to have mm -hmm. more room in LA, I'm sure will help him. It does sound like he's going to start though over man or Batum. And I'm just curious as to your, Thoughts on that? I know it doesn't necessarily matter who starts, but it does sort of affect like how they stagger minutes because they don't have then like a true and Eric Plus is not a true point guard, but like they don't have any semblance of a floor general coming off the bench then for them. Right. And this has been just like a, a time honored tradition for us talking about the Clippers, right? Is who is their point guard? Who's right. handling lead ball handler duties? Uh, and it's something that's just been in the zeitgeist about the Clippers for the last three years or so. Uh, I, yeah, Ty Lue said that he was going to start alongside Reggie Jackson, Paul George, Marcus Morris, and Zubac. Um, Ty has done a very good job of staggering Kawhi and Paul George, you know, when the two of them were playing together. 
And so I imagine he's going to do an equally good job of staggering those lead ball handlers of like Eric, uh, Reggie Jackson and Paul George, making sure that one or two of them is on the court at all times. So I think the fact that they're starting doesn't mean that like, oh, hey, Luke Kennard is our backup point guard and he's going to have all of the responsibilities in the second unit. Pretty sure, you know, some of those guys are going to be on the court for the entire 48 minutes. I think part of him starting is one, to like maintain that defensive integrity. Two, we mentioned that he did not seem supremely invested in New Orleans. A good way to get a guy to buy in, make him a starter, right? That's a good point. And Lou famously like had these 10 game shifts last season where he would reevaluate his rotation. I would assume that this one is going to get like a 10 game shift, right? I, I don't think that this is going to be the starting lineup for the remainder of the season. You mentioned Batum, you mentioned Terrence Mann, both of whom have really interesting cases to start. Uh, I, I don't think that this is like the starting lineup we should pencil in for game 81 of the regular season, but I would expect it to get like those first 10 game look. Whenever I'm doing these look ahead outlines, I always have to go back because I realize I never ask anything about the star players because I just don't have like strong thoughts on them. So you can probably tell this was a throw in Paul George topic when you looked at it. Um, Kawhi is going to be out for, let's say, most of the year. Paul George's MVP odds are 36 to 1 at the moment. Is that something that should interest people? Is it what needs to happen with him? Or is this a, if the Clippers are just better than expected without Kawhi, he might organically have that, we'll call it the narrative nudge to enter that conversation? So MVPs usually come from top three seats, right? We're, we're basically looking at Russell Westbrook as the lone exception in the last 15, 20 years. Um, and that was because he averaged a triple double back before it was cool, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> I, I think your, your hope of Paul George being an MVP relies on the Clippers finishing pretty high in the standings. And as much as I like the pieces on this team, I don't think that's going to happen. I know that the West is uh, got a lot more parity and probably a lot less top end talent than in years past. Like you could tell me that the Clippers were better than the Mavericks and the Nuggets and the Blazers in the regular season. I wouldn't bat an eye, but if they fell behind all three of them, I also don't think that's unreasonable either. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that there's kind of a top three of like that Phoenix, Utah, Lakers trio, especially during the regular season, you know, when Utah is so deep and has just figured it out. Um, so it's hard for me to see the Clippers jumping high enough into the standings for Paul George to get that MVP buzz. Um, but as for George himself, I just think his efficiency is going to take something of a hit playing without Kawhi Leonard. Uh, the, I mean, it's Paul George, like just has the smoothest looking jump shot in the world. And when it's flowing, like he, he looks unguardable. Like he looks mm. just like a, a diet version of Kevin Durant. Um, and, you know, obviously this is not the case on a regular basis. You know, you, you see it during the playoffs when he has just these wild swings of shooting, you know, above 50% and then below 25% on occasion. Like it's, you never know which version of Paul George you're going to get on any given day. So I think that efficiency, that consistency is going to be hard to maintain over the course of 82 games, especially if the Clippers lean with these more defensive lineups, like Zubac starting at center, um, like during the conference finals, you know, I thought Paul George had a really hard time scoring against Phoenix and it wasn't because Phoenix was doing a good job of guarding him. It was just, he had a hard time getting his drive game going with Zubach camped out in the dunker spot. Um, so I guess it depends like how much the Clippers play big versus small, you know, to see how well Paul George is able to function offensively. I just think that his numbers aren't going to look as spectacular as you would want from an MVP candidate, even though he's, I could see him having like a really valuable, like second team all NBA season. 
I'm just not sure that that translates to MVP discussion. To your point, his usage jumped by 8% without Kawhi last year, and his effective field goal percentage dropped by three and a half points. And it'll probably just get tougher this year if Eric Bledsoe is playing a lot of the minutes that like Patrick Beverly and better three-point shooters were logging last year. I could not believe that Nick Batum signed for the deal that he did. Uh, they ended up paying Justice Winslow more, which is wild. Even Reggie Jackson's deal was just like, I thought he might get a longer deal. Who are you more confident in in sort of repeating the season that they had last year between Jackson and Batum? Definitely Reggie. Um, his shooting has been just really good ever since he got to the Clippers. Even when <clears throat> he was, you know, objectively terrible on defense and passing and all sorts of other parts of his decision-making when he first got to the Clippers, his shot looks really good. And I think that's sustainable. He's just capable of launching from wherever and, you know... <laughs> The Clipper fans affectionately call him big government because he's always billing them out late in the shot clock. <laughs> uh, so he's got the goggles back, you know, for this season, even though he proclaims to have 2010 vision and no need for corrective eyewear, but it's just part of the look of Reggie Jackson now. I respect that. Uh, yeah, I I think him being in that secondary option role is just a good fit for him um, because, you know, the best perimeter defender goes on Paul George and then he's able to work off of, you know, the second side action. He's just, uh, I think, in a more sustainable position. Like, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't continue to shoot 40% on threes when he's shown that track record for, like, the last two years. Um, I I mean, I don't think that he's going to, like, shoot as well on floaters as he did during the postseason. Mm-hmm. But I think the jump shot is here to stay, and that's such a big part of Reggie Jackson's game that it feels more sustainable. And he's going to be starting. So he's going to have, like, the ball in his hands a lot. He's going to be able to develop a rhythm all of that seems very plausible um nick batumi is not gonna be starting first of all so the total minute thing is it's probably gonna be harder to replicate then again Still, i think my favorite just... stat from last year was that nick of of just the entirely was that nick batum led the clippers in total yeah. minutes played i mean he wasn't projected to start last year either and then had to because marcus morris wasn't ready to go at the start of the season so you know he he will be that guy who has to step in if there's any sort of injury within the starting five I just think that Nick Batum is one of those guys who amplifies better players and uh, it's going to be hard for him to go as hard as he did during the playoffs for a full 82 game season. Mm-hmm. Like I thought Nick was great when he was starting, you know, for that first part of the season up until I think March 15th, um, which is when they made the switch to Morris and Zubac in the four or five. He just doesn't look quite as good when he's playing next to like the Luke Canards and Patrick Patterson's of the world. Uh, he is very much like a, a ceiling raiser, not a floor raiser. So I think having him in more second units is just going to make him look a little bit less impressive, even though he's not doing anything materially differently in his game. Uh, and I, I also think the Clippers are just going to make it a point to load manage him because like you said, he did lead the Clippers in minutes last year. He was a huge part of their postseason rotation. Uh, he was guarding Rudy Gobert for the majority of that Utah Jazz series. He played the entirety of the Olympics. So I think he was the leader on the French national team in minutes as well. So it's been a lot of basketball for one Nick Batum. And I think that they're just a little concerned about overextending him again. So for the regular season, at least I would imagine they give him a less intensive role. Yeah, I think I I agree with your pick also just because his season last year just came so far out of left field after what happened mm-hmm. in Tr- like he was defending four positions consistently and as you mentioned like was on some bigs and he might now 
the way the roster said, like, is he the best passer on this team too? Like, I think so. I think so. (laughs) That's just wild to say, but I, I would have more confidence in Reggie Jackson as well. Uh, I think I asked you this last time. I'm going to run it back here. Is Terrence Mann considered a, a core piece of this team? And do you think it, he has it in him to be better defensively than he was last season? Yeah, I think he's absolutely a core piece. Um, for one, they're just so proud of him as like the second round success story. You know, the Clippers don't have a lot of draft wins to point to in recent years. So just from a, a pride, like sort of ego perspective, I think the fact that Terrence Mann has popped is really just a good feeling for them, um, which, you know, never, never doubt the ego in terms of running these teams. Uh, and then he was just so important in terms of the playoffs, right? Like he steps in for Kawhi Leonard in the starting lineup, puts up 39 points in game six of the conference semis to help the Clippers advance to the first conference finals in franchise history. Like those moments, just, you can't script them better than that. Um, but I think you're absolutely right to point to the defensive side of the ball, because for all of the gains that Terrence made offensively last year, like he shot over 40% from three-point line. What do you do? Everybody on the Clippers did. Um, still wasn't really being guarded there. Like you saw a lot of instances of him being driving off of closeouts because like he just had so much room to work with when defenders were trying to cover that space. Um, I think he he just needs to be stronger defending the ball. Um, and I, I see no reason why he can't be because he has all of those physical tools, right? Like he's a big wing. He's about 6'6". Six, six. Um, he's got good size, good length. Uh, he's he's not the most laterally quick, but like it shouldn't be in a situation where he's getting beaten off the dribble mm-hmm. by his d- opponent. Um, so I think that is really the side of the ball that they're going to be focusing on more. Um, he even talked about that today at training camp. Uh, so, you know, lovely thing to pick on. <laughs> um, the, the Clippers, I imagine will be running more like conventional, they can roll defenses during the start of the season. They'll be going a lot less Uh, small over the course of the regular season. So he'll have to figure out how to defend in a non-switching system. And I, I, again, I I don't really see a reason why he can't figure out those tendencies. It's not like he ever looks lost. He just gives a little bit more effort on offense than he does on defense. Like he's a tremendous offensive rebounder, not so much a defensive rebounder. Um, But that's just the kind of thing I think that young players pick up on, right? This is only year three for him in the league. And I would expect uh, if he's going to take another jump, it would come on that side of the ball. Have they given any updates on how close Serge Ibaka is to returning from his back injury? Yeah, so he is doing non-contact drills during training camp. Uh, They expect to progress to five-on-five pretty quickly for him. So I think the expectation is for him to be ready, if not at the start of the regular season, then pretty close to it. Uh, I know they have this third-center battle going on in training camp, like Harry Giles and Isaiah Hartenstein are both there. Uh, The the plan is for Serge Ibaka to take that role sooner than later, you know, to be the backup center. Uh, so it's, it's not the kind of thing where we just don't know when he's coming back. It, it should be like by November, I think. Do you view, uh, Hartenstein or Giles as the better fit for this team? I mean, Harry Giles has just been bad for most of his NBA career. Uh, like there's just no sugarcoating it. Uh, I, I love Harry Giles. Uh, you know, <laughs> I went to Duke. Um, I have very fond memories of Harry Giles in the ACC tournament, but it's never really clicked for him in the NBA. and. I think out of a center, the thing that you want most is defensively. And Giles has just really been a train wreck on that end of the floor for his entire NBA career. So, I mean, I don't really think it matters if they put in Giles or Hartenstein. Like if that's the deciding factor, if the Clippers make the plan or not, then like something else has gone wrong <laughs> in this NBA season. But I think Hartenstein is probably the better player. Like he can actually shoot from distance um, and he has some idea of what's going on defensively. So that's where I would lean. But I don't 
really think it's that big of a deal. There's some nice passes in Cleveland last year too. And I was a little bit surprised that he only got like a non-guaranteed deal this summer, but the big man market is always like unreadable to me. So I guess when you sort of look at their center rotation though, so you have Zubach, you have Abaka, but then like if your third big is, is Hartenstein or for Giles or if Abaka misses time, it does feel like their lineup is still catered towards at times playing without true bigs. And last year per cleaning the glass, they played about 530 possession without a big on the floor. Would you expect that number to be higher or lower this coming season? All right. So 530 possessions, like any idea, like what percentage of the Clippers possessions that is, I'm, I'm having a hard time figuring out what that means. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a fair question. I can probably look at that very quickly. Um, let's see. So their total possessions last season that are in CTG as it loads, mm-hmm. and I'm just reading it very, talking very slowly in hopes that it loads, um, quickly enough. They played 6,600 possessions. Okay. So it's not like so huge, less than like 10%. 10%. Okay. Yeah. Less, less than, than 10%. That. All right. Yeah, I, I think that would go up a little bit just because, um, you know, they don't have like a DeMarcus Cousins to soak up those big minutes. I, I think even Patrick Patterson probably counts as a big in those situations. I did filter uh, him out, so yes. Okay, yeah. Um, so if, if, you know, Morris or Batum or Justice Winslow has to play the five in those situations, I think that'll end up being a more common outcome for the Clippers this year than last um, if only because we saw during the playoffs how successful they are playing small lineups. Um, they didn't really have an opportunity to do at the start of the regular season because they had so many injuries in their backcourt to start the year, right? Like you can't play small if your wings are not healthy. Uh, but with, you know, more man um, and just fewer bigs, I think it's it's a natural outcome. Um, I don't think they're like looking to do it beyond crunch time at the start of the year like marcus morris had said that he is fine playing the five but he expects that that'll be a card that they hold until the postseason you know not just putting it out there all the time unless it's like within the last five minutes of the game so admittedly if ibaka is hurt or the third center thing doesn't work out and they end up using that roster spot on like amir coffee or something then yeah they're just going to have to play without a big for more often but um i still think that they would prefer to use a true center during most of the regular season lineups I think it probably helps that a lot of people for some reason consider Zubach like this defensive liability. And I don't think he's, yeah, in certain matchups, sure, but he's yeah. really just not. Like you watch yeah. him and he's fine. I might, is, is he better defensively than Serge Ibaka at this point? I think so. Like, yeah. yeah. So better rim protector. Um, I think he can even switch a little bit. Admittedly, the Luka matchup was very bad for him. Right now. Might be the best way to yeah. put it. Yeah. With Kawhi out, or maybe even if Kawhi was healthy, do you expect Justice Winslow to get a chance to play a role with this team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, it feels like it's I been would, three and a half years since I've seen like Winslow play any meaningfully impactful basketball, by the way. I don't know how long it's yeah, actually yeah. been, but it feels um, like I'm going to say the last game that I watched of Justice Winslow was December of 2018 when they come to play the Clippers in LA <laughs> and uh, they had to like Miami only had eight healthy players. So Justice literally played point guard and they had to zone for the entire game because they didn't have enough healthy bodies to play man to man and they ended up <laughs> blowing the Clippers out of the building, which is a very strange night. Um, yeah, I, I think he's really part of that top nine, top 10, depending on Ibaka's health. Uh, he has said that they're basically using him in every single position on the court, whether that's backup one all the way to backup five. Oh. Which makes sense because he's he's not a shooter. So really in the Tyloo offense, like 
center is the only spot he can function offensively, but defensively, he is probably capable of guarding every position on the floor. Um, unless it's like a true back to the basket post of center, which you're not really going to encounter in most second units. Uh, so yeah, I think that he'll probably just fill in wherever is needed. I, I imagine they think of him as like a real transition weapon where he can rerun the ball and bring the ball up on his own and set up the offense a bit faster than the Clippers are wont to do. Uh, and just because of like the, the general lack of front court depth, I think he'll have to be used there in some capacity because I, I'd rather have Justice Winslow play center than Harry Giles at this point, regardless of how bad Justice's offense has been. Um, and it's been it's been really, really bad. Um, if only because like you have a little bit more confidence in what he can bring defensively. Okay, there was that one season he shot okay from three without ever dribbling and having all the space in the world to take those shots. <laughs> That's what you need to point to. And you know, he, he'll have a lot of space on this team too. If I don't know if they play him and Eric Bledsoe together at any point, uh, that might <laughs> test their their three point uh, expertise from last season. Yeah. He, I, it doesn't sound like from any some of the comments I saw that Jason Preston is going to be healthy at all this year. Uh, yeah, looking at the Clippers rookies, like, do you have any thoughts, impressions of those guys, and is there a chance that this is weird? Because I would normally say there's no chance in hell that either of those guys get minutes with the big league club. But like with Kawhi out, I know the Clippers don't have their own draft pick. There is the potential for like them not to be great. And so do they kind of focus on trying to give those guys some, you know, NBA reps, or do you expect them to be very much like just out of sight, out of mind? So I would say that the Clippers have like 10 solid NBA rotation players at this point, um, plus three rookies and then Kawhi. So it's, it's hard to get through 82 games, only playing 10 players, right? You need a little bit more depth than that. Even if on a given night, you're only playing a 10 man rotation. Um, just if Paul has to sit or Marcus has to sit or Batum has to sit, like someone is going to have to step in for them. And maybe that's the, the Giles Hartenstein spot, but I would imagine that the rookies are going to get a look uh, for Brandon Boston. Um, they're, they're just very happy with his offense at this point. He's super comfortable getting to his spot, scoring defensively, train wreck. Um, and that's to be expected for a rookie who like was not even good in college. So I think it's going to be harder for him to get on the court because they have such little faith in him defensively. Uh, so he seems more like an Agua Caliente Clippers candidate to me where he'll have to figure out how to play, you know, in the G league first. Keon, um, I think has a little bit more of an idea of what to do defensively. He's just so raw um, like his physical tools absolutely overwhelm you and he can jump out of the gym, but he's just not polished enough in like any aspect of his game so far. Uh, and I wonder if like they feel more comfortable going with Boston just because like, oh, maybe we can just hide him on defense if we're not switching and like actually trust him to handle the ball on offense. Whereas with Keon, I'm not sure that he has one skill anywhere on the court that you can point to and be like, yeah, this is NBA ready. Uh, so I think they will get some minutes if only because like I said, the, the Clippers don't exactly have a, a ton of depth, even if like the depth has good quality. Um, but I wouldn't like pencil any of them in for a, a rotation role on like every night. I, I thought Preston had the best chance of that. And like you mentioned, it's, it's not looking great for his injury prognosis at the moment. Uh, this might tell you inform how Luke Kennard was viewed last year in the Clippers. I'm only asking about him after the rookies. Um, I do assume though that based on them starting all three of like their best ball handlers at this point, that Luke Kennard will probably have a bigger or should we say at least more consistent role 
with this team going into the season? Yeah, I think you can sort of analogize him to the way Lou Williams was used by Ty Lue last year uh, in that he's not closing games. You know, there's a big difference between how Lou was used in the Ty Lue system versus the Doc Rivers system. So he's he's sort of like the first guard off the bench, um, manages a second unit, but like also playing next to another guy who has the ball in his hands a lot. Like Lou was playing with Paul George a lot. Um, and I could see, you know, Luke having to play next to Reggie or Paul George a lot as well in the second unit, but, uh, they have a lot invested in him, right? They gave him a four-year extension before he even stepped on the court as a Clipper granted fourth year of that as a team option. And the money is not nearly as much as was originally reported by his delightful agents at CAA. So it's not as burdensome of a contract as one might seem, but it's still a four-year commitment and they, they want him to be good, you know, uh, I bring this up a lot, like the third game of the season, you know, Kawhi has just been smacked in the face by Serge Ibaka. He's out with the stitches. They're playing a game against Dallas and Ty Lue starts Luke Kennard. And he says, yeah, Luke's going to be the guy I'd go to when Kawhi or PG has to sit. And that lasted for all of three weeks. Like it just didn't happen beyond that. That that was the plan. He wanted Kennard to be in that position and it just didn't work out. So they, they like him quite a bit. Like offensively, if you watch him on a good day, it's, it's so pretty, right? Like he has a really good command of the court. He's got that pretty little lefty finish around the rim. He can shoot from wherever he's a delightful shooter. Uh, he can work out of THOs, pick and roll. Like he's got the complete offensive skill set. It's just, he doesn't have the confidence in his game at this point, especially playing on a good team like the Clippers, as opposed to the first three years of his career that he languished in Detroit. So uh, it's funny, Tyloo actually just mentioned today that like they have a number of sets in the half court that are designed to get the ball to Luke. Like they call them the hunt Luke package. And wow. he said, like, I had to take him out of the court on a scrimmage because he had an open shot. He didn't take it. So like, this is what they're expecting from Luke Kennard. Like they are going to make him a priority in their second unit offense, but he has to be ready for it. And evidently there's a short leash. So it, it, Could there be like a baptism by fire thought to that then where it's like, Hey, we're going to start Eric Bledsoe, Paul George and Reggie Jackson to where, yeah, stagger. I know starting doesn't matter, but like now Luke Kennard has to come off the bench. Like maybe it forces him. He'll be playing at least certain stretches with as few secondary ball handlers or primary ball handlers as possible. Mm-hmm. That maybe it forces him to be more aggressive. I mean, one would hope. I think Luke always tends to look more comfortable the longer he has the ball in his hands and they wanted to make quick decisions, but I think he just needs more minutes. So if he can get like extended stretches with the second unit and like you said, being more of that lead guard with that group. I can only imagine it would help. I, I just can't see him being worse than last year. And even last year, like he was an effective offensive player. What is, and I'm sure we already talked about this, but what do you view as the single biggest weakness of this team? Uh, so we kind of mentioned it just like passing. Um, I don't think they have a ton of like good pick and roll ball handlers. Um, like Luke can do it, you know, on the second unit, but I don't really see him as like a starting caliber pick and roll player when the best defenses are geared up against him. Um, Paul George has gotten better as the pick and roll guy, but like it pales in comparison to what Kawhi was doing for this team last year. And so much of their drive and kick game was, you know, based on the fact that like Kawhi was drawing help in the lane and then kicking the ball out or, you know, drawing help on the pick and roll. And then like zoo or surge would pass out of the short roll. So I worry that they're not going to be able to create as many open threes, which was such a big part of their offense without that offensive hub that Kawhi Leonard was. So I'm interested to see like how their half court offense functions as a result. Like I think Eric Bledsoe is really good at getting downhill. I think Justice Winslow is very good at getting downhill, 
but I mean, is it going to create the same amount of openings when they're driving versus like when Coral Leonard was driving? I think the answer is pretty clearly no. So the, just like the, the general passing ability and then how that affects their driving kick game is what I'm interested in seeing. Is that where you would expect the biggest drop-off to come from them is on offense without Kawhi there? They were ninth in points allowed per possession last year and then fourth in points scored per possession. So there's obviously more room for them to drop off offensively, um, but Kawhi's also even the regular season. Kawhi's still one of the best defenders alive in the NBA. So I think it's probably fair to expect regression perhaps at both ends, but would you be more concerned about them you know, matching up on offense than defense at this point? You know, I think Ty Lue's more of an offensive coach. Um, and even in the games when Kawhi and PG were out during the regular season, they still had a system that worked pretty well. Um, granted that's different when it's an, you know, an odd night off for Kawhi versus an entire season off for Kawhi. So I, I still think that they can be a top 10 offense, but like you said, that gives them more room to drop off just because of the, the high baseline. I think they were the second best offense in the league a year before that too. So it's, it's a strong offensive ecosystem that's been developed in LA. And I, I imagine it's still going to be better than most offenses, but yeah, you know, there there's some room to fall off there. Whereas defensively, um, I think Kawhi Leonard doesn't do as much defensively during the regular season. Like he's still there and reputation matters quite a bit. Um, but you still got Zubac, you still got like Batum. And, you know, as I list this, I'm finding fewer and fewer defenders I actually like on the Clippers roster. So maybe there is room to fall on defense. The they did find defensively in the minutes they played like 1300 possessions without Kawhi and Patrick Beverly, and then Paul George was on the court. And that sample size, they were really good defensively and they were not so good offensively, if that's like any telltale. But I do, when you go through this roster though, I don't look at it now and see all these like really great, a bunch of above average defenders. And it's not like Patrick Beverly would have necessarily changed that either. Bledsoe is probably. If he's Milwaukee, but so he's a better defender than Patrick Beverly. Right. right. Yeah. I think you're right about that PG Zubach combination. It's, it's pretty damn good defensively. Like as we saw during that conference finals against Phoenix before, just like the, the water, like came loose in game six, but uh, it was hard for the Clippers to score with that lineup. Like I mentioned earlier, Paul George had a hard time getting to the rim with that configuration, but Zoo was great defensively. And if Bledsoe can just mimic what Beverly was doing, which I think is a reasonable expectation, like that's three above average defenders at those three positions. And then Morris is fine. And Reggie Jackson, like is suitable, I guess uh, he, he was what pretty good. Endorsements? I think Marcus in the Morris is fine. Reggie Jackson is suitable. <laughs> well, you've got three above average. So if you've got, you know, fine and suitable next to that, then I think we're good. Yeah. There, <laughs> there you go. Uh, this changes and will I'm sure be based in part on how the season actually unfurls for them. But as of right now, who would you view as the most likely player to be traded from this roster before the deadline? Yeah, you, you mentioned that this question is coming up and I still haven't come up with a good answer. Uh, who is most likely to be traded? Well, it's not, it's not Paul George. It's not Reggie Jackson, I don't think. Um, I guess Bledsoe, um, just because I'm not sure if he still fits. Uh, There's no chance we see like them getting scared of paying Terrence Mann. And trading. Oh, him. no, 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 no. Worst comes to worst, they get scared of paying Terrence Mann. Like they can just pick up his team option. Like pick point. up his team option for the fourth year, right? Uh, and if Steve Ballmer is getting scared of paying someone, like that is a big, big problem. Um, that's a really good question. I, I just don't see him trading like Batum or Zubach um, because of how cheap good fits they are. Uh, I guess like 
in Baca, Bloodstone, Morris, like if they needed to package something for like a star, you know, that's sort of the the way it works. I couldn't come up with a good pick for them either. I have with a question mark next to it, just Luke Kennard, because yeah. if, if for some reason this, like that's kind of, if he has a good year and that salary is like digestible, do you either trade him for an expiring contract or does he help you get someone else who fills more of a, like a playmaking need for you? Mm-hmm. Um, I just wouldn't expect anything drastic from them this year, at least until they know what's going on with, with Kawhi, obviously. Right. So this is obviously matchup dependent a ton, but what do you think their most used slash most effective crunch time lineup will end up being? So I think it's going to be like the starters with Batum or Man in Bledsoe's place. Um, or if they just go small, then you could have uh, Reggie, uh, PG, Man, Batum, Morris together. Is there yeah, a let, players? <laughs> is there a that seems like the most like obvious one for them? And it also seems mm-hmm. I don't want to matchup proof like and would be like a even if you're going to have Zubats as part of the closing lineup, it seems like they're pretty matchup proof when you're looking at closing games. And maybe they, like you said earlier in the podcast, they can always go to Morris at the five if they really want to. Yeah. Because you've got the Zubach like who can guard traditional centers. I mean, he is just, is good enough to like play back to the basket against Aiton or whoever, you know, you put at the five. Um, and then you've got the Morris option. If you need to spread a team out, like they did against Utah, they even did that during the regular season. Actually, that wasn't just a thing that they busted out during the playoffs when they played Utah at full strength um, in February. That was what they did at the end of the, the regular season game. And it was just gangbusters. Um, and then Ibaka is sort of like a meet in the middle option where they, they anticipate him being able to switch. I'm not sure if he can still do that, especially with his recent back surgery, but at least that gives you a stretch option on offense, which um, gives you sort of that uh, compromise of like having a a real center defender while also creating more space on the other. If you're Ty Lu, what's a weirdo wonky lineup that you're throwing out just to see just to see what happens? Um, so Giles Kennard, Winslow plus any two other guys. <laughs> <laughs> you can figure out why I'm picking that. Um, but let's see. I I kind of just like the idea of five wings together. Um, so like that closing lineup I mentioned, but like in place of Reggie, let's just throw Winslow and see what happens. Um, yeah. So like Winslow, PG, uh, Batum, Man, Morris, I think would be just super fun. Cause they're all six, six to six, eight. And that's just like my dream ideal of basketball. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure if there's enough playmaking there though, but I guess you can put the ball in like manner, um, Batum's hands and just feel comfortable with it. So Paul George doesn't have to do everything. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where I would go. Just five wings. Let's have some fun. So the lineup I came up with was eerily similar and has even less playmaking because the only player that was different was instead of man, I just have Keon Johnson in there. Oh, like, nice. let's, let's really go five wings and see what happens. That's I'm a sucker for that type of ball. I actually don't think that lineup would end well offensively, but I would 100% watch it. If you just have Winslow throw lobs to Johnson in transition, like let's just more of that. Yeah. That's fine too. That look, there's the yeah. pathway. They're gonna be a that's yeah. a top 10 offensive lineup. So this may surprise you, but their win total over under is not 36.5, like I sent you uh in the outline. It is as we record this 45.5. And would you, as of right now, you know, without knowing for sure what's happening with Kawhi, take the over or under on that? I think it's a really good line because I have the Clippers sort of pegged as like a, a 
top 10 offense, like 10, 11, maybe, and also a top 10 defense. And I was looking at cleaning the glass and the teams that were in like that 10, 11 range last year, won 57% of their games, which is 47 wins during the season. So I am just over on that Clippers over under. <laughs> I've been picking too many overs on these podcasts. Mm. So I think I'm defaulting to the under here. Just Kawhi gives me the excuse. To General whatever. optimism, man. It's not such a bad thing. <laughs> uh, the So the other thing here too is... Uh, I always list like, where do you see them finishing in the West? But you could, there's like seven or eight teams. Or if you told me they finished first or second in the West, like I wouldn't be shocked. You tell me that the Clippers finished like eighth or ninth at this point in the West. I also would not be surprised. So is there like, like a, a, do you even have a ballpark range for them? Let's say if Kawhi doesn't play at all this year, hmm. what would be a realistic position for them to target? I see them around like six, seven. I think if they can get out of the play-in, you know, to that sixth, it's probably a successful regular season. Um, but I could also see them jumping as high as fourth, you know, like hosting a first round series is not out of the question. Unless um, we forget they finished fourth in the Western conference last year. So can you imagine they have the same number of wins and also a first round playoff series with a yeah, I mean, vastly like, different team. When you go through it, if you had to pick the teams that you know are going to be better than the Clippers, I kind of stopped. I went jazz Suns, Lakers. And then like, I didn't feel comfortable putting anyone else in that conversation. Obviously Denver, I put there if we knew what was happening with Jamal Murray and maybe MPJ mm-hmm. is, a star, but like there are only three, maybe four teams that you could definitively say, and that might even be a stretch. Like, would you, would you be shocked if they were better than Phoenix this year? Like, I probably wouldn't be. I wouldn't expect during the regular it. season. I would be shocked if they were better than okay. Phoenix. Yes, yeah. Uh, Chris Paul is just really good during the regular season. Has a way of raising the floor of his teams. Um, they figured out their backup center thing. You know, I I think Javale McGee's gonna be fine there. Uh, so did they figure out their backup center thing? I think so. My voice is squeaky because I don't think that's adequate. <laughs> backup center um he was a starting center for the number one seed lakers just two years ago i I think he'll be great um he doesn't let them play small the way they were with dario but like uh there's there's enough like thad thad young um smoke to phoenix that i'm thinking they could fix that pretty easily (laughs) i really wanted larry nance jr to end up there uh it's clear that they probably wouldn't have had the juice to to get that but yeah thad Mm -hmm. young's obvious they are I'm making fun of them, but they are my pick to come out of the West as of right now, or is there the way to change that? Uh, DeAndre Ayton said some stuff. It was the other day that was just weird where he was like, now that I know to play the big man role that I don't like playing three point shootings, the next frontier. So it was the weirdest thing. Maybe he'll explain it. Maybe it was out of context, but it made me worried that like, is he pissed? He didn't get an extension yet. Like, are we going to see this is the kind of media day quote that would have made the rounds had there not been like so much vaccination. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was legitimately bizarre. I had like, I'm going to have to look best... this up now. Yeah. Um, I'll link you to it in the DMs once I find it. Uh, so is there anyone or anything about this team I did not ask you about? And if, if you need, if you feel obligated to provide an answer for the Toronto Raptors over under, <laughs> feel free to go with that too. <laughs> I haven't given much thought to the Raptors in truth. Uh, I didn't even watch their summer league. I hear good things about just Scotty Barnes. All of Canada. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I have been watching the Blue Jays if that's any consolation for the Canadian fans. Uh, let's see. Uh, I think we talked about everyone. We got some PG in there, Reggie, Batum. Um, Marcus Morris shot 47% on threes last year. I believe he was second highest in the league behind Joe Harris. I um, am of the belief that Marcus Morris is in the downturn of his career. I've heard some compelling arguments that if he's healthy, he should be like a potential second scorer for the Clippers. Uh I'm less convinced that he's capable of doing that. Okay. Uh, I would like to see Marcus Morris become a good rebounder. That I think is a really important swing skill for the Clippers. Uh, it feels like we have almost a decades of evidence that that's probably not going to happen. 
Probably uh, not gonna happen. <laughs> is there any reason why you think he's on the downturn? Is it just what you saw from him last season? I mean, I just worry about the knees. You know, he didn't have a procedure or anything during the offseason. So it's not like anything was corrected. He just got some rest after the playoffs. Uh, he said during media day, which is a time when everyone is at their absolute most optimistic. I'm not 100%. No one is ever 100%. So I don't like to hear that. Uh, and 47% is a lot of threes to make. I don't think 47% is a replicable number. Uh, you know, we're on the wrong side of 30 here. I still have just... <laughs> hard and fast rules about the aging curve. <laughs> yeah, I, look, if the foundation of the argument is I don't think he's going to hit half of his three-pointers, that's like a very valid, valid stance <laughs> to take at this point. Uh, so can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media and follow your work? Yeah, absolutely. So I cover the Clippers for ClipsNation.com. I am on Twitter at SabrinaJM. And if you're a WNBA fan, I do a YouTube show called The Step Through that is continuing through the playoffs. So you should check that out. I reiterate, she's a fantastic follow. Follow her at Sabrina JM at S-A-B-R-E-E-N-A-J-M. Thank you as always, Sabrina, for coming on to talk hoops with me. I, I always enjoy it. And as you have to know by now, I will be pestering you again in the future. So thank you. Looking once forward more. to it. <laughs>